Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. Today, we meet Barry Averich, director of a great new documentary called Oscar Peterson, Black Plus White. The documentary, which will premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival, will also be available during the film festival on TIFF Digital before moving to Cineplex Theatres on September 18th and to Crave on October 22nd. It dives into Peterson's life as jazz royalty and features rare concert footage along with interviews and performances of Peterson's work by the likes of Billy Joel, John Batiste, Quincy Jones, and Branford Marsalis, among many others. Let's get to it. I get up in the morning, I think piano. I go to bed at night, I think piano. I am a jazz pianist. That's all I want to be. So help me set the stage here for people who are perhaps younger or not jazz fans as to why Oscar Peterson uh, is so important to Canada's musical landscape. I think he, Oscar Peterson is important to the global landscape of music. There isn't an artist working today, whether they be in jazz, rap, classical, uh, uh, R&B, that doesn't somehow connect the dots back to Oscar Peterson based on his musicmanship and the people that he played with, which is why I wanted, which is why I wanted John Baptiste in the film, why I wanted uh, um, Branford Marsalis in the film to talk about connecting everybody, whether you're, uh, whether it's a riff or a certain syncopation, everybody comes back to uh, Oscar's uh, uh, musicology and thinks about that. So, you know, you can't listen to music today without thinking about jazz and those artists like Oscar. Well, I certainly knew a lot of his music. What I didn't know is that he was a child prodigy, started playing very young, was playing in front of people in a very high level sort of way when he was young, in his teens. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, about how Oscar Peterson began his career. He sort of was born with it. You know, I think about seeing Tiger Woods the first time on the yeah. Mike Douglas show, you know, uh, putting with his dad uh, or Sammy Davis and his family or or even uh, Michael Jackson so early on. It was it just it was in his blood. Now, yes, his father, who worked on CN Railways as a porter, just knew that there was a certain discipline in music that if he can teaches his, his kids and have that discipline, then that would set them up for life. I don't know that anybody ever thought that Oscar, it would just pour out of him and his sister the way it did on that end of it. I mean, you know, this is a man whose two hands worked 88 keys like nobody, nobody else. And so he becomes this incredible player who's instantly discovered in Montreal, playing on radio shows, winning contests, playing boogie woogie in the film at the age of 13 and 14, like nobody's business. He could have gone on the road like Paul Anka in those days with Jerry Lee Lewis, whatever, and playing. He, he was just an instant sensation. I, I think uh, uh, Giovanni from the New York Times, a music critic, says that, you know, when you think of the great athletes like Michael Jordan uh, uh, or, you know, or, or some other baseball players who just instantly became geniuses without sputtering, that was Oscar. Who's at the top of the heap? Oscar. I didn't know that a piano could be played that fast off the top of your head. Oscar Peterson is what Muhammad Ali meant to boxing and what Michael Jordan meant to basketball. 
Well, it is quite remarkable, the footage, and it's the archival footage that I loved at the beginning of the movie, because I hadn't seen any of that before. Uh, but when you see him play as a young man, when you say you work those 88 keys like nobody's business, I, you know, maybe other than Art Tatum, I'm not sure that I've ever heard a piano player uh, play quite that way. Was it difficult to get the rights? Whenever you're dealing with music rights, it becomes uh, very difficult. Well, I, I was primed and ready after, you know, doing the David Foster film and having right. some 34 complicated songs to clear. This was a little easier, but but I will say, Richard, that, you know, in in the strategy for in making the Oscar Peterson film was to tell the story in Oscar's words throughout every stage of his life. Who am I to tell the story of Oscar Peterson? I wanted this to be in his words. And so we scoured the earth finding interviews and Copenhagen, Stockholm, uh, uh, Germany, Toronto, Montreal, uh, Los Angeles, uh, David Frost, Dick Cavett, wherever we can find moments where Oscar tells his story throughout the film. He's our Sherpa. It's not me. It's him. And then coupled with that music, 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 music. I mean, you know, it, it, it is the one thing I said to my editor, Nicholas Kleiman, who was such a genius in putting the film together, is that I wanted a freight train. Night train, freight train, whatever it was, this, this, this film has to move 100 miles an hour. And he would show me cuts and I go, oh, my God, it's too fast. That's Oscar's music. I need to slow it down. Didn't he ever do ballads? My God. Uh, and so there are those moments. But, you know, you wanted to get the sense of, of how his life uh, ran and worked. There's this great line in the beginning of the film, and I almost called the movie that, you know, I, I came to play. That's what Oscar said. There was no drama, you know, beyond his personal life and certainly what he encountered as a black man traveling through the South, but there was no needle in the arm and, and, you know, it's not finding Neverland. So, you know, really what this is, is about, you know, his, his extraordinary commitment to music. Wow. Well, I love how uh, a number of the interviews are cut together using several interviews to tell the same story. And so he'll begin telling the story as a 20 year old man. And then he fills in the middle of it as from an interview when he was in his forties or whatever, and it goes through. And it's a really cool device uh, to um, show the width and breadth of his career. And, and just to, to get a, a sense of him um, as a person and not just a musician, he expressed himself and his personality through the music. Absolutely. But it was interesting to hear him actually tell the stories in his own words. Well, that was key in, in finding the research and, and the editing. I mean, you know, my, my greatest regret in life, other than not being you, is, <laughs> is not being able to play piano. Uh, and, and so I was lucky. And, you know, my producer in this film uh, is uh, uh, Mark Selby. Mark Selby's an accomplished pianist himself. So setting him on the task of finding not only interviews, but the performances from Copenhagen, again, as I said, Sweden, Vienna, where Oscar was really a powerhouse, and he was his whole life, uh, was critical in telling the story. And then I think also, Richard, I, I wanted to you know, make sure that uh, people in the audience watching the film, whether they're at home or God willing in a theater, uh, can get lost in his performance, right? So I was inspired, and I, I know you were there too, and I went to see uh, Standing in the Shadows of Motown at the Uptown Theater, uh, sitting in that audience with uh, when the Funk Brothers would play a set in between the storytelling. I never forgot that. 
Yeah. And, and same thing in 20 feet from stardom when, when they're, uh, uh, when they play Mick Jagger back a suite on that end of it. I never forgot that. So I wanted that in this film and that's why we have contemporary and some legends, musicians playing his music through the film. Everyone I knew had heard the rumors about this incredible young piano player from, of all places, Montreal. Back then, I didn't even know they had black people in Canada. Well, I started playing dance halls, I would say around 16 or 17. After getting a contract with RCA Victor, he was heard by Norman Granz. He said, well, I'd like you to take a shot at uh, the American jazz market. He said, take your best shot, and if you make it, you'll know it. If you don't make it, you'll know that, too. Well, you have a connection here. So your uncle worked with Oscar Peterson's father uh, on the railroad. Is that right? No. Close. Close. <laughs> uh, story's a little convoluted, so we need to get out the big board here for right. that. My, my grandfather was a kosher butcher. My grandfather's, uh, my grandfather's, my grandmother, sorry, my grandmother's sister's husband worked with uh, Oscar's father on the trains and would give Oscar's family kosher meat. So I, and, and that was my grandfather, you know, anybody that couldn't afford it and he loved him uh, and he worked on the trains too. And so uh, we, we like to say that Oscar Peterson uh, ate kosher meat his whole life. Oscar Peterson kept kosher, not on the road, but uh, uh, you know, and I only found this out late from my mother who told me the story. I never knew this growing up. My mother would take me to, Oscar Peterson concerts at the Place des Arts in Montreal, as she did uh, with, with Pearl Bailey came in and saw her in Hello Dolly and Nana Mascore. I didn't even know what that meant. She took me to everything at Place des Arts. But Oscar was one of the six albums they had in that wood paneled basement in Montreal. Yeah, with the big cabinet stereo, probably right. The the big stereo. Um, it was. It might have been teak. It might have just been painted teak. I don't know what it is. But there were those albums, right? Those yeah. LPs. You know, comedy and jazz. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, that's where I knew of Oscar and Sarah Vaughn and uh, Ella Fitzgerald and, you know, and on and on. You're listening to my interview with director Barry Average. His Oscar Peterson Black Plus White documentary will premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival and will also be available during the festival on TIFF Digital before moving to Cineplex Theatres on September 18th and to Crave on October 22nd. It's such a personal story, uh, not just uh, the once you get past the music, there is a personal story uh, here being told about uh, his past marriages and and to a certain extent his children and you had the cooperation of his wife kelly peterson uh tell me about working with her and what her influence on the storytelling was well i needed i mean i i wanted kelly involved i you know i i there, there's so much stuff out there on oscar where he's almost become uh, uh an entity owned by the public on that end of it uh and there was again we found so much footage uh, I didn't need Kelly's blessing, but I wanted it, uh, and and uh, I wanted her to tell that story in in, in Act Three yeah. of Oscar's life, the stroke, uh, you know, life on the road, and his legacy and his eventual passing on that end of it. I I thought that was completely essential, and my deal with Kelly was very simple. You know, I'm going to make the film. I want to interview you for it. I want to hear your story, and I'll show it to you. And if you don't like it, then let's not talk about it uh, on that end of it. But I, but it, it's so important to me as a documentary filmmaker, they're doing this for so long that 
that she love it, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and quite often with families, they don't, you didn't get this right. You didn't include that person, this person. I don't like that, but you know, I wasn't going down any sort of controversial highway here, but I, I invited her to a private screening room. She came in with a, a giant bag of popcorn. She didn't touch the popcorn uh, for the 80 minutes, cried, loved it and and said thank you so much and that was that was great that was enough for me uh and again but essential storytelling to get a sense of who oscar was as a private man it must have been interesting to watch her or just be in the room with her as the other musicians played his music so uh for people who haven't seen it yet there are a number of musical numbers that are interspersed throughout the entire film that were shot, it looks like on a soundstage somewhere. Uh, and you've got incredible musicians uh, doing their versions of Oscar Peterson's songs. Um, tell me about shooting that. And did she respond to that as she was watching it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I kept in touch with her. I mean, it was important that the estate, you know, appreciate who I was casting. I wasn't casting or booking musicians that didn't have a tie to Oscar somehow whether it was Dave Young who played with him for years or, you know, or Robbie Botosh or Jackie Richardson singing Hymn to Freedom, Larnell Lewis. I mean, uh, so I, I kept in touch with Kelly and, and she knows the musicians because she produces concerts herself who best, uh, uh, you know, exemplify uh, uh, and personify Oscar's music. Uh, the shooting of that, again, was part of this docu-concert vision that I had. What I didn't know was that, you know, we'd be shooting it during COVID um, editing the film during COVID, releasing it during COVID. So I, I've made this film, I've made close to 50 documentaries. I've made this film in seven months. Uh, and we only shot that, the concert part that you saw in the film, throughout the film, we only shot that end of February, beginning of March. Um, and then went into really putting this film together very, very quickly uh, on that end of it, but spending so much time and the shooting was easy, the editing, was, it was really the process. And of course, you know, Billy Joel, Herbie Hancock, Ramsey Lewis, Branford Marsalis, uh, and, and so many others in, in getting them to sit down during this pandemic. Uh, there, there was no arm twisting. They were all amazing. I met Oscar Peterson once and not uh, professionally. I, I, uh, he was, uh, sitting in a restaurant that I was working in. So it was a long time ago, 25 years ago, probably at least. And uh, I was amazed when I shook his hand, we were introduced and I was amazed when I shook his hand, uh, how big his fingers were. <laughs> and, and it's interesting because I had also met Dr. John years ago, uh, another of the great New Orleans piano player. And he had these enormous like little sausage fingers almost. And then you'd see him play piano and it was so nimble and so uh, uh, incredible to see. And I, I could never uh, get it through my head how those hands could make that music. It's true. I mean, Oscar's hands, I mean, if, if you know, if anybody's hand should be in the Grauman Chinese yeah. cement, it's him. Uh, the hands were huge, but that was part of the ability to cover those 88 keys right. and have them running yeah. like machine, all of them. I mean, and, and if you watch the placement of his fingers and, and how he hits the keys, it's so elegant and light. Uh, it, he doesn't, I mean, we all have those visions of Jerry Lee Lewis pounding yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. At, at the piano and destroying it. Uh, not him. I mean, very, very, very light to touch, but so elegant and eloquent. Uh, but you're right. The hands were enormous, but that was part of his coverage. They, they were lightning. It was 
just one of those things. For Oscar Peterson to arrive as essentially a rookie, but somebody who was so deeply proven at home, it's almost like you're in the big leagues and you're already known as an enormous star. And that set the tone for Oscar Peterson's career. I found it was also interesting in the in-concert footage that we see of Oscar Peterson, not the other musicians, but of him. Every time he seems to finish a song or, 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 or the audience would react, it was almost as if he didn't acknowledge them. He'll look their way, but he wasn't like doing the big swan bow. He wasn't doing it. It was very kind of humble, very kind of um, uh, almost nonchalant as though he was uh, not, I don't know. I, 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 I'm still processing it, I guess, but it was very humble. I thought I came to play. I yeah. came to play. Yeah. That's the line. It wasn't about, you know, I came for adulation. It wasn't, and it wasn't as extreme as Miles Davis, who, as you know, would often uh, turn his back to the audience and yeah. not even look at them. They, they were they were beneath his music. Yeah. Uh, Oscar just came to play. It wasn't about adulation. And I think as an extension to that comment, Richard, if you look at the way he interacted with the musicians throughout his career, whether it was Eldridge or Herb Ellis, you know, along the way, Dave Young, it was really about the, the trio of them and them knowing when to be there for Oscar and Oscar giving them their spotlight. It was never the Oscar show, even though he might've got top billing, he mm. was the star, but he well, it's interesting in the film, you see how close together they are. Yes. When they're playing, they're virtually on top of one another when they're playing, when it was the trio and Herb Ellis, I think on guitar, the, the bass player and Oscar, and they're just pinched together so tightly. And I think that's why for some reason, they almost seem to be thinking like they only had one brain, you know, they're using one musical brain and they could almost read one another's minds or something. Well, he says that there's, you know, there's a poster that we show in the film from, I think, a concert in Denmark where it's the three heads molded into one. That's head. right. Yeah. And even yeah. when Dave Young came to do the concert for me uh, for this, he moved himself closest to the piano because he said this is where i would stand when oscar was playing so it was almost symbiotic i thought uh in the film one of the most uh, effective parts uh was about the racism that he endured coming down to the south it had to be so shattering in in so many ways separate bathrooms the separate water fountains where every heart Freedom just became the anthem for the civil rights movement in the United States and across the world. We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. He wrote about it in his in his uh, biography too about what he encountered. I mean, you know, quite often he was very lucky in that. Norman Granz, his promoter, who he, who discovered him and, and really catapults him to fame, uh, uh, dealt with a lot of the bad stuff on the road and protected him. Uh, uh, he was like a pit bull, that guy. He was a pit bull and protected them and said, all right, fine. You know, if you can't, I booked the hall today. You know, I paid for it. My, my musicians will use the bathroom. Yeah. If you won't let me stay in your hotel, then I'll stay in the hotel with musicians. He was that guy on that end of it. Uh, and and I will say, you know, Richard, I mean, it, it was it had to be a cornerstone of the film for me. We spent a lot of time on it. Uh, and really, you know, it, it was uh, uh, one of the historians that reminded me that 
that Obama had chosen him to freedom for his second inauguration, not his first. By the time Obama you know, was reelected, the world was changing and, and changing for the wrong reasons and in a bad way. And so he, he selected him to freedom. And there were many artists who wrote great pieces about Martin Luther King and about oppression and racism, but he, cho he chose Oscar. Uh, and, and it was at that moment that I decided that, you know, Oscar would speak to what's going on in the world today with reference to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all of that. And so that's why I sort of worked that footage into the film as well to say that Oscar's incredible song resonates today. There's gonna be imitations, there's gonna be things that are derivative, but it will never be Oscar. He's the absolute greatest, man. He was. That was Barry Average. Find Oscar Peterson Black Plus White, the documentary, at the Toronto International Film Festival in person and on TIFF Digital. Then look for it at Cineplex Theatres on September 18th and Crave on October 22nd. My big thanks to Barry Averidge, but of course, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krause. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk again soon. <laughs>